Welcome to the Spike Feed, your leading Magic the Gathering podcast. What is up? My name is Curtis, just your typical Spike. On the line with me, my good buddy, executive producer extraordinaire, and clearly dressed for actual winner, Cameron McCoy. Friend, how you doing? Good, man. Yeah, I got the sweater on. I'm chilly today, okay? <laughs> and, and that's a day to celebrate in my book. I'm, I'm done with this warm November stuff. Sure. Right? Yeah. Um, you know, hey, I work at a place where everyone is either much older or much younger than me. And we had a pretty intense rainstorm and somebody used the comment November rain. And I, I you know, said something, song lyric from the song, dead. Nobody got it. Oh, that's a shame. That's a shame, right? I feel like that's a keystone. That's a keystone to the early 90s MTV music scene, right? <laughs> um, and a great solo. Oh, yeah. So, Cameron, yeah. if you could work on that this week. Forget magic. <laughs> Forget magic. Guitar solos. Guitar solos. Yeah. Am I wrong, dude? Am no, I wrong? No, not at all. Like, this is a brilliant <laughs> idea. <laughs> um. Though I just picture like your wife in the other room going, oh, "Guns and Roses again, <laughs> again." <laughs> um, all right, dude. Hey, so I, I I'm kind of gonna like go over some stuff with you. We we do have some brothers or spoilers, um, <clears throat> but it looks like you've been having a really good experience with Canadian Highlander, and I really want to dig into that. So like, kind of kind of jazz me up for this format. Talk to me about it. Okay. As our pre-show content has kind of like we talked a little bit about Commander, this is like a razor's edge <laughs> from Commander. It being competitive and just being one-on-one -on -one is great, but there's like so many other elements of it that um, could. I mean, you, you just one wrong turn and you're into Commander territory, um, mm. but. On its own, on its face, Canadian Highlander, man, I, I love this. I love this so much. I, I, um, I'm playing like this uh, Grixis list essentially. Um, it's like a who's who of like I have one cruel ultimatum that I got to hard cast, and that was great. But then everything from like Baleful Strix, Jace Friends Prodigy, Snapcaster Mage, Thing in the Ice. Like I mean, it's just like this who's who of like amazing creature creatures. Really, really good spells, and it's it, it, it's a great supplement to just for, like I forget about certain cards that were printed a decade ago, and like oh yeah, something like Kess Dissident Mage. It's a really fun, interesting, different card, and I I mean I played that a long time ago, and look, I had a playset just sitting in my binder, so I was able to put that into the the list, and I love. There's no wrong way to go about building the list, which is also something. I mean, like I can spend hours, and I'm sure you have too, just looking at deck list and like trying to like negotiate. Like, what are you putting in that 60? What does your 15 look like? And with this, it's just really refreshing sometimes to just like, hey, I, I need to fill some spots. Got Eternal Kefnet. You're going in my list, right? Like, I mean, it's just mm -hmm. like, just there's no wrong reason not to do that if it kind of fits within the color chart and everything else that you're doing so um anyway this was just kind of like a casual tuesday night gathering that i did um but you, i mean there's like nothing on the line or anything but it was just really really fun to suit this up play paper magic and have a little bit of like a competitive weird 
mashup of a hundred cards. It's great. <laughs> so whenever you say you're a razor's edge away from Commander, do you mean in terms of the deck building, the culture of Canadian Highlander? Like, do people get upset if you play a Wrath, for example? No, or it- no, no, no. Like, I mean, like, I, you put a Wrath in there, okay? Like, we're gonna we're going that way. Um, and it's just more of kind of like the deck building. I just feel like because you're trying to put a hundred in its singleton. Anything kind of goes, and that's where I'm saying, like, the razor's edge. Like, I do appreciate, like, what this is, but I can also just see it leaning into that a little bit more of the casual thing of, like, I'm just going to try to create the most big, bombastic thing rather Mm -hmm. than, like, really trying to focus in on, like, what are these cards that are actually going to allow me to win, right? So there's a razor's edge there. Yeah, and there's not really a competitive scene for it, right? Like, that's the other kind of thing. I mean, and that's the same thing with pre-modern or old school or whatever. Yeah. Like, you're, and there are people that really like to build old standard versus decks, right? And then, like, you can get a representation of a good balanced standard. And <clears throat> I've never really kind of crawled into that hole. But, man, you could have a lot of fun playing some great matchups from standards past, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but, no, this, th- that format continues to intrigue me. <clears throat> I thought it would be more affordable on Magic Online than it actually is, but Magic Online, well, well, exceptionally uh, inexpensive compared to the real thing, Power and Fetchlands, and notably some of the more recently printed stuff, which hasn't been getting opened at the same rate, has really affected that economy. So I've been really stunned at like when you go and you look at the price of some things. You know, a Black Lotus might not be that expensive, but. Um, you know, like an Euro might be incredibly sure. expensive, right? Yeah. Um, it's just, it's the economy of that for that world. Um, but I, I, I have to like, this is a little bit of therapy time and I want to just kind of get this out of the way here. Really not been super happy with just relegating myself to arena. So I kind of started to look around at places to play physical and like basically where I live was a standard hub for many years pre-COVID. And, and like, mm-hmm. you could go to any F&M, reasonably expect between 10 and 30 people. Um, and that was the scene that I was engaged in. That's the scene that I liked. Um, actually, and I don't think this is, this is definitely pre-show, Modern took a while to take hold in Kansas City. Um, and eventually, it got there and kind of eclipsed it. But right now, most F&Ms near me are Commander. And I should also point out, not a lot of commander, like four to eight players kind of commander. So it's kind of mm-hmm. a friends group that shows up. <coughs> but I ended up going to a flesh and blood FNM. So it was kind of strange. There were four people playing commander. There were six people playing flesh and blood. Um, and I think that's where a lot of the competitive player energy has kind of gone, uh, at least in my local region. Um, and this was all kind of juiced up by the fact that uh, Worlds for Flesh and Blood is this weekend. And you can watch, it's essentially a Pro Tour stream. Like, again, the level of carbon copy here should not be understated. It is, hey, Magic players, competitive Magic players, we are going after you to get you into this game. And I had a really great time. I lost every single match because the game is incredibly complex and I'm quite bad at it. We've talked about that. Everyone was super welcoming. But I'm kind of struggling with what my interaction level is going to be with Magic going forward in the sense of paper. Like, obviously, I'm a digital player. I'm going to keep hitting digital, you know, and every set I put in between $50 and $100 into the machine. 
I get the cards back out that I need, and usually I'm doing just fine in terms of acquiring decks or whatever. Sometimes things are a little bit work in progress, but whatever. I get mm-hmm. a good, good sense of what I feel like is going on in Magic. But the physical world around me, that is just dissipated, and it's kind of hard to psychologically deal with. Now, I want to say this. like <laughs> I don't live in the middle of Los Angeles. Like I get it. Like Yes, I live in a suburb of Kansas City. Not every place is going to have a massive standard scene. You know, if you live out in the middle of Montana, you probably can't reasonably expect a legacy scene every weekend, right? Like, sure. There's a piece of that that is on me, and I understand that where I've chosen to live, but it's a little bit disheartening. And I kind of had this moment of like, am I never going to buy a paper magic card, like single for a deck ever again? Because there's genuinely no reason for me to right now. Talk me off the ledge here, Cameron. <laughs> Oh gosh, um, yeah, it have... stinks for you because, like, yeah, a forty-five minute commute for what be, might be a tournament that may not fire. <laughs> really disheartening. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, I don't know, man. Like, I all I can say is that showing up to just like a casual Tuesday night or like the pioneer stuff that happens on my Mondays, like, there's things happening around my area that reaffirm my love of the paper side of things, like the mm. actual physical showing up to an evening of magic. Um, and I, I like, there's just no other experience like it. Uh, like sitting up to play arena on a Saturday night, um, I can lose horribly. And I feel like I just wasted my Saturday night. Whereas if I did the exact same thing, uh, for paper, I'd be like, yeah, you know what? I had a, I, I might have lost, and I might be upset about that, but I still have no regrets about showing up to the event. So that's where I'm at, dude. And I think deep down, maybe I, I can't speak for you, but like, there, there's just nothing like paper. There really isn't. Yeah, and I would say with digital magic, when the format is, and I would qualify standard right now as titanically uninteresting. <laughs> yeah, like maybe not necessarily bad. We've certainly been through worse. Um, but I mean, man, the plays are pretty road at this stage of the game and, and brothers war in fairness does look like it's going to change a lot of this, mm-hmm. but there is a brothers war pre-release. And I just thought, I don't know that I should spend my money on going to that because I'll acquire cards that I will literally do nothing with. Yeah. Yeah. And that it's kind of just disheartening. Now I will say this, um, flesh and blood isn't this like perfect, like replacement level thing, right? Um, I just see that there's a little bit more fervor around it with some competitive players in my area. Uh, you want to talk about a game. So like, I think once you're hardcore in it, it is really, really good and really rewarding. And they've done some really smart things to, uh, deal with the issues with competitive magic. Um, but the onboarding is a nightmare, like getting a new player to sit down and play it is, and it, like I've told you, it's probably on the complexity of modern or legacy on the base level. Yeah. Yeah, And because of that, um, whenever you have an old head like me that is like the rules of magic, even when you change them and it chafes me, the London Mulligan, um, <laughs> I can still just like instantaneously like wrap my head around how that's going to alter things. Where with Flesh and Blood, I still like I miss really wide open things. And so you're I, I, not that I'm like Mr. Awesome at magic, but I'm used to having a reasonably successful F&M. And just mm-hmm. going and just having my eyeballs handed to me because 
um, I have no idea what's happening, is a little bit of a pride-swallowing siege. You know what I mean? So what you're telling me is you've reached Cameron at his best in Legacy. <laughs> oh, dude. I, I mean, I lost these games. I had no hope. I had no hope. Now, what's weird is, and this this is funny. So they've stated that they're not going to have a digital game, right? Um, and their move to casual, which I think is actually smart, and it hasn't come out yet, is they're going to do a PvE which you can do multiplayer versus the environment or solo player versus the environment, which I think is a really clever way of getting people engaged. Um, but it, it is just like uh, very much meant to be played in person. However, they somebody out there has made a version of it digitally that you can play for free, you can play all the cards, hmm. and it is a rules engine, so it's not just like you doing the things. It is so much like Magic Online version 2 or 3. Like, it looks exactly like... <laughs> Oh, and it's played in a browser. There's like a little chat window that is giving you what's going on, right? And that's actually helped me immensely, like understand what's going on. Mm -hmm. um, but I need that, and so that's been like a big barrier that's to break great. through. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I I can't convey to you enough how much you should give this a try at some stage. And I, I think that's to. I think that's going to be a you and I sit down and play it sometime whenever. We actually, I mean, I'm, I'm not convinced you still exist, Cameron. We haven't seen each other in person in like four years. Yeah. Um, yeah. But <laughs> this could just be a pre-recording and it's just you in the background. Like You're just talking to an algorithm right now. <laughs> yeah. Dang it. Um, but anyway, that's all I'll say with the, the flesh and blood stuff. Now, let's, let's talk Brothers War because there is a, a lot of things to talk about here. <clears throat> and by the way. This this set for me has a big hump to get over because usually I hate colorless sets. Mm -hmm. um, I did not mm -hmm. like Kaladesh. I really did not like Scars of Mirrodin. Um, but so far, so good. Why don't you start us off with Gix Yogmoth Praetor? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Gix cost one black black for a legendary Phyrexian Praetor. Whenever a creature deals combat damage to one of your opponents, its controller may pay one life. If they do, they draw a card. Uh, and then pay four, black, black, black. Discard X cards. Exile the top X cards of target player's library. You may play land cards and cast spells from among players exiled this way without paying their mana costs. Uh, and has a power and toughness of 3-3. Three, three. So, yeah. Uh, seems pretty good. The, I mean, just a three-three on a, you know, three-mana body, and that the the first part of that paragraph is really really good. Uh, I do at, at seven for for that. If you activate that, that's some um, that's some spicy stuff right there, and so I could see that being um, good. And since we still have some treasure, and we have so many other ways that you can cast this. Um, seems like black might still continue to be a pretty good thing with this and invoke despair. <laughs> yeah, to me, this is, I think the question is, does this replace anything in black, red or Grixis or whatever? Mm -hmm. I think the answer is no, but I would not be shocked to see this as a one of, um, as like a mana sink or whatever. Drawing two of this would be a disaster. Um, mm -hmm. and I also think, because I've heard a lot of people say, oh, this plays so well with Fable of the Mirror Breaker. I actually think the best case scenario for this card is Fable of the Mirror Breaker getting banned. Because sure. then you're hard up from like more three drops. And 
you know, maybe that top, like we we're talking a lot about the seven mana ability. The top ability is pretty stinking good and really valuable in a black deck. It's just you can't you can't mulligan in these scenarios, right? Like you have to the way standard works right now is you are very, very, very incentivized to keep a seven card hand, right? Like, uh, because when you get behind, you can get behind so quickly that drawing two of these is, is really disastrous in my estimation. Um, all right. So this one, I, I think I maybe like the title more than I like anything else about it. The stone brain, <laughs> um, <coughs> it's two colorless for a legendary artifact. Two tap exile stone braid. Exile stone brain. Choose a card name. Search target's opponent's library hand, uh, or opponent's graveyard hand library for up to four cards with that name and exile them. That player shuffles, then draws a card for each card exiled from their hand this way. Activate this only as a sorcery. Wow, that part is obnoxious. Um, this this is a hate card that like okay, it's four mana. Most formats, by the time you hit four mana to try and hit your hate card, like, LOL, right? Mm -hmm. um, and it's hard to see a standard application for this. I feel like for modern legacy, this would be, the activation cost would have to be tap. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, a lot of people have already hit this as a tournament playable card. I'm not buying in. Where are you at on that? I, I feel like... There are enough hijinks that you could do with, like, untap artifacts, have Narset in play, <laughs> and that sort of thing, where all of a sudden you're able to remove things from their their um, hand and from their library, and then maybe it's some sort of weird mill deck or something like that. Like, th there's enough weirdness with this card, and the fact that it's not just a, a spell that you can, like, repeat this so often... Um, you have to exile it when you activate it. So you can oh, wait, it I'm sorry. Ooh, didn't read that top part right there. Yeah, <laughs> so never mind. Uh, tournament playable then, huh? I was thinking if like if you could recur this all the time, my God, this is amazing. Okay, never mind. Seems okay. But, but this, is like, this is like an $8 rare. Yeah. Like, that's what blows me away. Like, I think, I don't know if like what you just went through is like what a lot of people are getting through. But sure. this just functionally seems so much worse than surgical extraction on... Yeah. In an old, like, I get it. You can activate it without the card being in the yard or whatever. But, like, sorcery speed just seems so brutal on this. And I don't yeah. know what... I, maybe there's an application in Pioneer, but by the time you've done this, Mono Green has already killed you. Now, Karn can go get this? So maybe, sure. like, you can have it as your one of in the sideboard kind of thing, but... Yeah, I mean, may, is it like something where because, I mean, it can exile lands, like you can slow down a modern ramp deck or something? I'm just trying to think of like where, yeah, I'm, I'm really struggling with this. Yeah, like, so you, like Amulet Titan, you're probably not going to do this quickly enough. Mm -hmm. I guess if you are Amulet Titan, you could do it pretty quickly. Um, so maybe that's where we're like, this is the ramp deck answer to, you know, like if you're Tron and you're up against Amulet or something like mm -hmm. that, I guess maybe that's where you want to be. But again, there's just so many decks that this just does nothing. It's a hard nothing. Yeah. Yeah. So like sideboard one of that maybe you go and get with a Karn in Pioneer. 
So, ugh. Uh, why don't you read for us Sahili Filigree Master? Yeah, Sahili is a uh, planeswalker, uh, two colorless, a blue and a red with a starting loyalty of three plus one, scry one. You may tap an untapped artifact you control. If you do, draw a card. Minus two, create a uh, two one one colorless, stop their artifact creature tokens. They gain haste until the end of turn. And in minus four, you get an emblem with artifact creatures you control get plus one plus one, and artifact spells you cast cost one less to activate. Or to cast, excuse me. Um, this seems like a really good card. I, I like this Planeswalker a lot. Uh, I think whatever this Artifacts deck is that they're trying to lean into for um, a Jeskai control list or something like that, uh, I feel like this is great. Uh, the plus one is awesome. Minus two protection is great. And then, I mean, you get to that minus four fairly easily, especially if you have like Artifact Creatures where... All of a sudden, one less to cast, and you can get to other things more quickly. It, all of it seems really, really good. So I like all these activations. The question is, where does she fit in a Fable the Mirror Breaker standard? Um, I don't know, man. I don't know. So, yeah, I guess, like, what's... So in this scenario, you play Fable the Mirror Breaker on three. Three. And then you could cast her plus have spell pierce up next turn if you wanted to, which is not like awesome. Um, but it is, I think there is a scenario in which Liliana the Veil gets very good. This card is clearly very good against Liliana the Veil. Mm. Um, so that lines up. But again, we kind of run into this thing with Tenacious Underdog and Gra Graveyard Trespasser and Shieldred. Like, this card lines up horribly against that whole axis of things. Invoke yep. Despair. All all the black cards. And, and, like, what's weird is it's the totality and the mixture of those black cards. Like, some of these decks run one Tenacious Underdog. Some run four. Um, and, I, I mean, I've lost to lists where they just run the one Tenacious Underdog. But because they're able to set it up and recycle it. Like, it just completely takes over. This card can take over a game, and it mm -hmm. does defend itself. But to your point, you really... Like, the rest of this deck is hard to figure out. And, like, the the fact that Power Stone Shards, or what are they called? The Mana Rocks that can only the, cast... Whatever that... Yeah, yeah. Like, the fact that they cannot help cast this really, like, impacts how you have to build these decks. It's such a weird constraint... And I don't know that I'm super clear on all the rationale, right? But mm -hmm. I think they 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 probably put that in for a reason. I'm assuming that they tested standard. Your guess is as good as mine now these days. <laughs> Maybe standard's just not for me, Cameron. Have I thought about mm. that? Maybe I should give them $1,000 for a pack of cards. Absolutely. Maybe, maybe the right, that's the problem. That's the right solution. All right, last one. And we haven't really talked about... <clears throat> Prototype, which is this really interesting thing that they're doing with um, artifact cards where you can make them, you can cast them basically for a color cost, um, <coughs> or you can uh, cast them for their artifact cost, effectively making them split cards, which is super interesting. Um, so Phyrexian Flesh Gorger. Uh, it's an artifact creature, Phyrexian Worm, for seven colorless. It has Menace, Lifelink, and Ward is pay life equal to Phyrexian Flesh Gorger's power, okay? Or you can play pay one black black to make it a 3-3. Three, three. 
um, and with the prototype ability. You may cast a spell with a different mana cost, color, a- and size. It ha- keeps all the abilities and types. So essentially, it's a 3-3 with menace, lifelink, and you have to pay life, and the ward is pay life equal to Phyrexian's Flesh Gorger's power. This seems like a card that fits in in the black and black, red, and Grixis decks quite well um, and solves a lot of these problems. The In this format specifically, Menace is a huge deal. Um, yeah, I, I'm I'm really big on this card in terms of standard. I, where, are you, where are you at on it? I, I agree. Uh, like The fact that it has so much utility for both turn three and late game is huge. Um, and yeah, just having like that ward on a seven toughness or power, I'm sorry, creature is huge. If you get to that late stage in the game on top of like, you're just gaining life then. Right. So like, there's so many, like this in combination with Shieldred just seems like, um, major life swing turns that can happen. Um, so I'm, I'm up on this card. I like it. Yeah. I mean. This is the kind of card I don't think it will be, but if control becomes a thing, it's good enough to be in a control deck. Yeah. Right? Because then you get that versatility of the minutes, the lifelink, and you're casting it for three or for seven, right? Yeah. Whereas if we're talking about the black-red decks, they're probably going to cast it for seven once in every 50 matches or something. Like, it's just not mm-hmm. going to come up nearly as much. Um, but, man, that life pressure... Like, there's going to be times... Where you're in a matchup, you play that pay the play this for seven, and they can't effectively pay for it because they're at five life, right? So like it is a seal of kill you, and that's pretty pretty powerful. Um, and exile effects it also works around that because it's a ward thing. So uh, really really strong card here. Um, okay, some notable reprints uh, that I just want to throw past you to see if you had anything. Remaining cycle of pain lands, fauna shaman. Uh, ever heard of it and uh, <laughs> Blast Zone which is from War of the Sparks so I would say more relatively recent yeah reprint. yeah that was a good card um, where you at on these things man uh, you know I <laughs> maybe I'm gonna regret saying this I'm glad to see Fauna Shaman in uh, like these newer formats that are the non-rotating formats that are gonna be popping up so like I'm glad to see this in Pioneer slash Explorer. I think that's going to be exciting. Um, it's great to see the pain lands. I'm great with that. And I forgot how much I enjoyed Blast Zone. And once again, it's like one of these random pioneer cards that doesn't quite fit into Arena yet. And so it has total utility and is a very, you know, solid option for a lot of different decks if you want to go that route. So, yay. <laughs> Dude, Blast Zone, I was convinced, was going to be like an. Uh non-rotating all-star i was like dude this thing is unbelievable you're gonna like and this is before you know things got really really intense yeah um with in terms of the power level because it was worth the spark i'm pretty sure and i like ran out traded for four of them i was like man this thing is going to be an all-star and now it's you know hey it's a good card it sees play on occasion yeah um fauna shaman we have to see what works with it because it is um it is a card that is inextricably paired in my mind with Vengevine. Like, that was the standard deck, is you would mm-hmm. pitch a Vengevine, cast some dudes, oh, here comes a Vengevine, you know, and that's just not what this is right now, right? Um, yeah. But if we could, let's just be real with each other. Vengevine, sick reprint. I would love that card <laughs> coming back. So, anyway, 
I actually, negativity aside from the beginning of the week and the lack of paper play around me, I actually, for a colorless set, I find myself a little bit more engaged with this set than I have, or since, you know, the Kaladesh Aether Revolt, I really didn't love those sets. So I'm, I'm maybe optimistic here. Where are you at on it, man? Good. First and foremost, I think I misunderstood which card we're talking about with Blast Zone. I'm thinking of something completely different. So I apologize. I forgot this is the War of the Spark land. Um, <laughs> anyway, yeah, other than uh, my <laughs> forgetful knowledge, uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm looking forward to this. Like, always, always, always. I'm always a little reticent with, like, celebrating the artifact sets just because I always feel like there's always danger <laughs> with yeah. that sort of thing. But just based off of like what they're trying to do with prototype and like limiting where these cards can fit in certain decks, I, I'm I'm intrigued. I'll say that. Yeah, and I, I should say Scars of Mirrodin wasn't necessarily broken. Like the Splinter Twin thing happened in that, and that was also the Caw Blade, Caw Go era. But, you know, the swords themselves weren't the broken piece, right? Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> but like with Kaladesh, I think that was one of those real peaks in, um, you know, with Aetherworks Marvel and all that stuff. Where we're like, this is uh, this is edging on unplayable. And then we calmed down and then we were like, um, then uh, then El Eldrain attacked. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right, dude, let's get out of this segment, come back and talk about what else we've been up to. Cameron, how are you doing today, friend? How, how, how's your gaming been? Because I know you, you've sold Gotham Knights back or returned it or whatever. Yeah, It's been lackluster, I'll say that. Like, I have nothing interesting to say other than I'm just continuing down the Overwatch path and very much enjoying the game. Um nothing new about it like from 2016 nothing new like i'm playing some of the same maps and the same characters but it's um it's a breath of fresh air somehow still so i'm very uninteresting that's only like i've played that a couple nights this week but otherwise schedule's been kind of full this week oh dude i get it i get it and this has been kind of my light week so i've engaged <coughs> so uh been on the modern warfare 2 campaign and again the modern warfare campaigns yeah. Um, like, it's very clear that when they've reset all these Call of Duties for, like, the new newest generation, so I guess that would have been, like, 2018, they clearly said, Ubisoft isn't making single-player Tom Clancy games anymore. So that's what the Modern Warfare games are going to be. It is, hmm. I mean, not just kind of a little bit like a Tom Clancy novel, like, borderline copyright infringement. So this one is, like, not only do we have... You know, the American Special Forces and British Special Forces. Oh, drug cartels got involved. So now you got, it's like, okay, man, clearly we've read without remorse. I get it. Um, but it is it is that all the time. And, you know, I, I read, I think I've told you, like, some of Naughty Dog's single-player staff has moved over to this studio. And boy, can you tell. There is literally a mission. Tell me if you've heard of this one before, Cameron. You're in a vehicle chase. And it is literally the Indiana Jones vehicle chase, but you're jumping from vehicle to vehicle. Then you got to hijack it, shoot from one, then mm. jump to the next vehicle. I feel like I've played that game before. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Weird. Um, so there's some there's some clumsiness, and again, um, you know the the Call of Duty, um, 
vibe sometimes is a little bit off-putting to me, is how I would put it. I, mm-hmm. I would say it's not as broy as something like Gears of War. Um, but there are also moments of really great level design and graphical fidelity and magic that um, there's one where you're like you have to take down a tanker ship. And mm-hmm. while you're going in a gunfight across the deck, the ship is moving left to right, and there are shipping containers that are going left to right. So you have to dodge the shipping containers while you're actually in these gunfights. <laughs> and it's really a great sequence that's graphically like super well delivered. So they've really done a lot of great things on that front. The the motion the stop motion or not stop motion the motion capture uh, action has been or uh, acting has been really solid as well. So it is a great diversion. Here's what I would tell you. Hits 20 bucks on Steam. Pick up that sucker. Mm-hmm. Like this is because it is a $70 new purchase on consoles. Yeah. If you are not going to play multiplayer and this is like an 8-hour campaign, it's really tough to justify that. But at a discount and all the Call of Duties go on discount down the line yeah. like 3 or 4 years. Like you could just pick it up and just have a nice time. Does it reach the heights of Half-Life 2 or Titanfall 2? No. But a very solid shooter campaign that, you know, the whole tango down, mm-hmm. put on your night vision, you get it, right? Um, I watched a couple clips on YouTube. I was really impressed with the set pieces. Like, I mean, they're visually fidel, like the visual fidelity of them are like second to none. It's really impressive. Yeah, yeah. And again, I think I kind of got burned by Call of Duty doing the same studio, churning them out for about eight years, yeah. and they did not look great. They were super like dumb and like they had great shooting but like really that was it and they would do these like i remember playing one of the games and like guys never stopped running because i didn't cross the threshold line so the ai was like crazy dumb like all that stuff is kind of gone now and that's nice but um anyway so there's that and then to the neglect of persona 5 now here's what i'm gonna say i was devastated to learn that persona 5 on switch apparently has a lot of performance issues Mm. which is just shocking and I don't know if you picked it up on Switch. Haven't yet, but... But I guess it runs at sub-720p. That hurts. Because it's <laughs> I mean, a great-looking game. Yeah. And also, also, not that graphically intense here, guys. No, no. And, and so, I, I got it on Game Pass, which was a bad idea, because that means I'm going to be paying for Game Pass for, like, hundreds of hours. <laughs> so I think I'm just going to pick up a copy on Xbox and play mm-hmm. it. Um because it looks great, loads fast, all these things. and uh, But I know I just wanted to throw that warning to you if you didn't know that, but apparently it just runs really poorly on Switch. That's a bummer to hear. And uh, I know you were like, man, if I could only just put 100 more hours into that. <laughs> yeah, maybe on my new Steam Deck when I, if I, if I Do get it, that. do it, Cameron. You're not buying standard decks. What are you doing? Come on. It's true, it's true. What am I doing? What What is, what is the chase card you want for this canadian highlander deck that you would be saving up for do you have something like that oh yeah it would definitely be one of the power cards i mean like if we're gonna go like if we're gonna go real all out like just just put a time spiral in there or something like that okay i like it i like it well, Cameron, if someone would like to get a hold of you and try and sell you their uh, really, really <laughs> legit Power 9, where could they find you? That's all on Twitter, at Cameron underscore McCoy. And I'm at Curtis Now. Our official show feed is at SpikeFeedMTG. We'll check you guys next week.
look, I know, I know you've been with Stephanie forever. You guys were probably uh, betrothed from a young age. But like for me, uh, the cassette, the cassette mixtape was a an important part of the game. You know? High art, high art. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. Like it's a sh- it's it's a shame that 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 like expressing yourself through music thing is just gone. Yeah, like the playlist just is not the same. Just yeah. Not. I think I think even a CD, even giving someone a mix CD, is just the coward's way. <laughs> the, you have to yeah. do zero math. You have to wait for zero songs to come out on the radio, right? You don't have to have that debate in your head of like, oh man, the DJ talked over the beginning of this song. Mm-hmm. And does that mean that kills the vibe? Do I need to go back? Mm-hmm. To this day, and I'm sure you have this too. I have like certain mixtapes that, like, when I hear the song, I think, oh, yeah. oh next song is by the Cars because that's how the yeah. mixtape went. Right there with you. All right, let's talk. Let's talk video games. <laughs> 